Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Aliens may travel the universe in starships far beyond the technology of humans. But when you really need to get something done, nothing beats a good old rope. And then we meet a young couple who are going through some tough times. But what they quickly realize is that time has no meaning. Once they discover the past isn't what they thought it was. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. Hope you guys have some awesome plans for the weekend. I don't know if any movies are coming out. I'll probably just enter a state of suspended animation until the next episode of Dead Rabbit Radio is ready to be recorded. But someone who's never been suspended, not even from school, running into Dead Rabbit Command right now, everyone give it up for one of our live stream contributors, Vertigo22. Woohoo, yeah! <laughs> Wee! Jumping on in to Dead Rabbit Command. Vertigo22 donated during one of our uh, movie nights. We've done movie nights in the past. Um, we do movie nights now for Patreon supporters. Back when I was doing them on public, I think it was during COVID, actually. Yeah, it looks like it was. It was 2020. We're still going through that list. They're like, Jason, I don't want to. I don't want to donate money. Do you all be dead by the time you announce it? I'm pretty sure I gave these guys shout outs years ago. I think I just found this old list and Aaron on the side of caution. A Vertigo 22. We were doing movie nights during COVID because you know there's nothing else to do. Anyways. Thank you so much for supporting the show, Vertigo. You're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. You guys can't support the Patreon I to- or financially or whatever. I totally understand. I really, really do. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so, so much. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know. Dead Rabbit Radio is your favorite paranormal show. Also, you can vote in the Paranormality Magazine Paranormal Podcast of the Month contest. They do it every month. You can vote up to three times. On a single ballot, just write down Dead Rabbit Radio, and that helps out. That's another way to help out so much, right? We're getting that specialized audience, the people who are really into the paranormal. So I appreciate all of that as well. Vertigo 22, let's go ahead and get this party started. I'm going to go ahead and toss you the reins. We've only used this once before. For the hair horse. Gallop us out of... (laughs) Vertigo's like, damn it, this is the lamest one you've ever come up with. You're really reaching... The hair horse. It's a half horse, half rabbit. Everyone jump on its back as Vertigo 2022 rides us all the way out to... He's not riding us, but whatever. Whatever, guys, just go with it. All the way out to Paraguay. <laughs> right in the... Probably the last appearance of the hair, hair horse. Unless it come up with better sound effect. It's October 22nd, 1998. We're in Paraguay, specifically we're near Asuncion. Asuncion, Paraguay, it's late at night. And we're standing outside a, a rural store. <laughs> I 
<laughs> me have a stroke? That's not even a word in any language. You know, like country. R-U-R-A-L. Like, you know, country bumpkins. Green Acres type of thing. We're outside a rural store, and they're closing up for the night. It's time to go home. And the owner of the store, his name is Jesus. He's walking out of the store, and his sister, Rosalita, is there as well. I guess she also probably works at the store. It's probably a family business, right? If it's out in the country, you probably don't have a bunch of people dropping off applications. They're just driving through on their tractor, and they're like, one bag of seeds, please. And then they drive away. Jesus and Rosalita are there, and he's closing up the store for the night, and he walks out. And suddenly, he's enveloped in a vivid white light. Woo! <laughs> he's not Michael Jackson. I don't know why I made that sound effect. He's all, he has one glove on. He's standing in this vivid white light, grabbing his crotch. The light actually... We didn't make a sound, but let's just go... It's like, a, like he's imagining the sound of this vivid white light. He's not actually imagining the sound. We're imagining the sound, but... Vivid white light on him... And what are you going to do in this situation? You're the king. You're the king of pop. The authorities are on the way. You're going to try to run back to safety. This giant vivid. Actually, what would you do in that situation? Now that I think about it, like I've kind of given away the goat. We know that this involves a UFO. I, you know, I kind of mentioned it on the in the intro. If you walked outside your place of business or your home or whatever late at night, not even super late at night. Let's say it's like eight, nine p.m. And you walked out into the darkness, and all of a sudden, this white light shone on you from above. What would be your first instinct? I would probably look. I'd probably try to see what it was. And if I couldn't see, if I just like this super shiny white light coming down on me, I would probably, I don't think I would run away. I don't think I would run away. (laughs) You're just asking to get vaporized by aliens or captured by the police in their helicopter. I don't think that would be my initial instinct. And the reason why I'm pointing this out, I think it's interesting, is generally there are things that are unstated in these types of narratives. The narrative goes, he saw this vivid white light come down on him and he tried running away. I'm sure he felt a fear beyond any... Fear he'd ever felt before. Like, I'm sure it is this thing. Like, you know it's not a police helicopter. You know it's not a shooting star. You know it's not some weird natural phenomenon or even a man-made phenomenon. When that white light hits you, you may know just right away something is extremely wrong. Like, obviously, I've had police helicopters fly over me and put spotlights on me and stuff like that. (laughs) Actually, in that situation, you probably might want to run... I wasn't afraid. I wasn't afraid. But if it had been an alien craft, I might have had a different um, reaction. Anyways, he runs, or tries to run back into his store, but he can't open the door. Jingle, 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 jingle. He's trying to get the door open. It won't open. And he knows that there's a storage shed about 50 yards away. And he's thinking, his sister's inside the store just watching all of this, by the way. Open the door! Open the door! She's like, ah! I imagine, again, this is a... It's not specifically stated, but they're not letting him. I.e., the aliens are not allowing him to open the door. Because just the raw power of these beans, a lot of times, is understated. 
He knows there's a storage shed about 50 yards away, and he's thinking, I can probably make it. I just gotta run. I just gotta run faster than an interstellar craft that has navigated the depths of the universe. I'm sure I can make it. He gets about three or four steps away from the porch of his shop towards the shed. He only makes it a couple steps when he actually feels... Oh, it's almost like he feels the air pressure change around him. He now knows. First it was just that white light, but now he knows for a fact that something is descending. He can actually feel the force of this coming down. He looks up and he sees that it's clearly a massive UFO. I love sto- I love stories like this. We don't find enough of these. I'm really excited to tell you this. He looks up and he sees this giant vehicle up in the sky crafted by the hands of alien explorers and hanging down from this object are four ropes. Each of these ropes has a pretty big hook at the end of the rope. Jesus looks up and he sees a bluish, what he describes as a bluish humanoid scrambling down one of the ropes towards him. The alien moved so quickly, like, Jesus is still trying to process all this, but this alien moved so quickly that before he could really figure out what was going on, the blue dude grabs Jesus. And Jesus is like, oh my god, (laughs) I'm just trying to leave my store, my work shift's over, if this had happened on my lunch break, it'd probably be a little more amicable. I'm trying to go home. This blue dude crawls down this rope attached to a UFO and grabs onto Jesus, and Jesus realizes there's fight, flight, or (laughs) strangle. Apparently, he has a new category. He wraps his hands around this humanoid's neck and begins to squeeze as hard as he could. And it works. It works. It works so well that it actually shocks Jesus because as he's throttling this alien, he's like, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know if I crushed someone's trachea, they would go into violent convulsions. That's what happens. The alien all of a sudden starts totally freaking out, which, of course, makes Jesus freak out. You You imagine if you strangle someone, they're not going to appreciate it very much, but you don't expect them to go into a seizure. Jesus is so freaked out, he loosens his grip. And the alien stops shaking, which maybe he was faking it at that point. That should be my new self-defense technique. If someone's beat me up, start having a seizure. Once he loosened the grip on the alien, the alien stopped shaking and then took the rope with the big hook on it. Well, all four of the ropes had big hooks on it, but the blue guy was still hanging off of this rope. Slips the hook into Jesus's belt, like underneath the belt loop and through the belt, and the rope begins to ascend up towards the UFO. Jesus is being abducted. He's dangling helplessly off the ground, and he sees a portal open up on the UFO. And the rope is pulling him into this portal. And Jesus is like, Jesus, he's a fast-thinking guy, right? We've covered a lot of people. Like, we covered an eight-year-old boy who got beat up by a bunch of gray aliens. He should have had Jesus as a sensei. 
at the very last second, as this, this portal was opened up and the rope was pulling him into this entryway, Jesus braced his feet against the ship so it couldn't pull him all the way in and began pushing back and gets free. Gets free from the hook. Now, remember, it's also way up in the... It doesn't say how far up he is, but... I mean, even 20 feet, right? <laughs> 20 feet after having a fight with an alien, then falling 20 feet. He does get away. He ends up falling into some nearby bushes and suffer just minor injuries. The UFO disappears, apparently. It actually doesn't say. I don't think it's still there. You're like, oh, if you go to his store today, you can still see it there. Um... But anyways, uh, and Rosalita was watching the entire event. Again, I'm assuming from the safety of the rural store. Found this story on ThinkAboutItDocs.com, one of my favorite UFO repositories. They got it from UFO 2000 LM Moscow Court, which to you and me sounds like a weird assortment of letters and numbers. I'm assuming it's a magazine. I'm assuming it's some sort of UFO magazine. It's interesting to think We've lost so much UFO knowledge. A lot of times, I mean, that's why I love thinking about it, docs.com. I actually have a backup of the entire website on my computer in case it goes down. Same thing, I have a copy of the Shadowlands on my computer. I've downloaded those websites. It's not illegal, right? It's not illegal. I don't think so. You imagine all of these magazines that have been floating around, like written in the 70s, written in the 2000s, written whenever... And you have these small magazines, kind of like this podcast, right? Like imagine all of the research we've done on this show over a thousand episodes. And then imagine if it just went away tomorrow. All the, all the recordings, all the show notes, which I think are more important than the recordings, like collating all this stuff. And you imagine like how many of these newsletters, little magazines, websites, like early internet websites just have disappeared and all those reports are gone. It actually kind of sucks. It kind of makes me, <laughs> it's kind of depressing. I'm trying to death proof the podcast. Like I'm uploading episodes to the internet archive and the Wayback machine and all that stuff. So even if something happened to me, there should, right now I think I'm up to the first 500 episodes or something like that. So they'll be there for you guys if something happened. The show notes is a little more complicated. But anyways, uh, I'm assuming that's what it was. The the reason why I covered this story wasn't to talk about uh, me dying and the podcast disappearing. The reason why I'm talking about this is this is one of my favorite types of UFO stories. They're extremely rare. And that is the old-fashioned UFO. And this really makes you think about what this phenomenon actually is. Because, I mean, two things can be true at once. You can have a craft capable of traveling the cosmos and use ropes to catch people with hooks on it. But most stories involve people being abducted by them either just appearing in the ship. That's usually what it is. I don't think most of the... Sometimes, we've covered stories where like mechanical arms come out and grab people. We've covered stories where people get levitated up into a ship. Most of the time they just appear in the ship. Ropes coming down with hooks on it. That is really probably about the most old-fashioned way you can think of catching something. Is using a rope. 
And he didn't describe them as metal ropes. He didn't describe them as mechanical ropes. They were rope. So what does this mean? One of the early, I'll put this episode in the show notes, there's still a lot of debate over how true it was, but really the earliest known case of UFO-connected cattle mutilation, this UFO showed up and it threw ropes overboard or from out of portals, I think it was kind of like that, it's been a long time since I heard the episode, and wrapped around a cow's neck or body and lifted the cow up. Which again, the idea that you have this magnificent vehicle, and that story took place like in the mid-1800s, so even human flight was still, you know, when did they, actually I don't know when they invented the airplane, but people definitely weren't able to do it on the weekend. It was something that's still being experimented on. But when we do look at like really old UFO sightings, they a lot of times they were just giant blimps, airships. With strange people on board. And now we have this story. 1998 is by no means a long time ago. And you have a UFO show up with ropes. It makes you question what the phenomenon is. I do believe that people are experiencing something. I don't think every single person who sees these things are making it up. I don't think they're all mentally ill. But I don't know what they're experiencing. Why would, if this same vessel, well, here's the thing, if this same vessel showed up in Michigan, October 22nd, 1998, would it have just beamed him aboard? Is it because he's living out in the country, a simple man with a simple life is why he saw the ropes? That's really what I'm getting at. How much of the phenomenon is based on your knowledge of the world? It's super weird. I Again, I do think they're seeing something. I do believe... I use the term aliens and humanoids and things like that. I'm not going to live and die on the hill that these all these aliens are from uh, Zeta Reticuli or, you know, like Blib Blob or whatever, some other planet. But I'm also not saying all these people are mentally ill. All these people are mistaken. I do believe a lot of these experiences are real. But what are they actually experiencing? That's what's so interesting about this. What is it? Because this doesn't make sense. This alien craft using ropes with hooks on it. And then a guy having to shimmy down the rope and put the hook in your belt loop and... We come across them from time to time, though. Old-fashioned UFOs. And again, this story this story took place in the 1800s. I'd probably still cover it because they're so rare. But it taking place so recent. I mean, what what is that? Like 30 years ago, give or take. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. It really makes you think. I think the biggest question, and again, I'm not doubting people who see UFOs. I do believe there's something to the phenomenon. This is going to blow your mind. I honestly, I thought that I did a full segment on this before, and I feel like I should, but I want to add this in here, because this is absolutely insane. It was June 1947. This was the beginning of the flying saucer craze, and it all started with a man called Kenneth Arnold. He was flying his plane over Washington. He's headed out to an air show in Oregon. He was headed towards Mount Rainier, and he saw a group of flying saucers a month before Roswell, a month before anyone. This was really the beginning of the flying saucer craze. He was flying out, and he saw 
these flying saucers. But he didn't. He did not see flying saucers. And this is considered one of like the biggest misquotes of all time. This is absolutely mind-blowing. What he saw were objects. He did not identify their shape. He said they moved in a saucer-like way. He compared it to something skipping across the water, like have you flung a saucer out across the lake, and or, or skipping stone, really. Skippity, skippity, skippity. He says the way they moved, it was almost like the tail of a kite. When he was using the term saucer-like, he was talking about the way they moved, not the way they looked. Kenneth Arnold did not see a flying saucer, but he was misquoted as saying they were flying saucers. So the newspapers started printing stories about flying saucers. What did everyone start seeing in the skies from then till now? What's the most stereotypical shape of a UFO? Flying saucer. But that's not what he saw. It's absolutely mind-blowing. I actually thought I'd already done a segment on it. I looked through my past episodes and didn't see it. But that really has to make you wonder, what in the world are we experiencing? What is going on with this phenomenon? Because I believe it's real. I believe people are experiencing these things. But because the term flying saucer got thrown in the news so much, that's what people began to see. But that's not what he saw. That There's something about that. There is something really, really interesting and something people need to talk about as far as that goes because he, that is not what he saw. The headline said flying saucers and then people start seeing flying saucers, disc-shaped craft from those headlines. Now, again, I don't think all those people are mentally ill. I don't think they're all crazy. I don't think they're all lying. But I think the phenomenon is there and they're perceiving it as what they think is a flying you know what i mean like it's there's a something is happening in that space something is happening in the air in front of you on the ground next to it but it is it a disc is it a square is it a tic tac is it a triangle does it have ropes this is something that doesn't get talked enough about in UFOlogy, and I think it's absolutely fa- cuz see it makes it really throws a monkey wrench into it, doesn't it? But the first account was not flying saucers, but what do people see after the headlines flying saucers? And again, I don't think they're making it up. I think they're seeing something, but <laughs> I mean again, I love this part of UFOlogy. I really really do. But I don't think it's talked about enough. I think we get tied up too much in, you know, the disclosure and the and the retrofitting the technology and the alien alliances and the different races. We like to put stuff in boxes. I think this is way more complicated than any of that. I mean, obviously, I do want to know what the government knows about these things. I'm not saying disclosure is bad, but I think that's I don't think they know. I don't think they can know. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. Vertigo 22, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carboner Copter. We are leaving behind Paraguay. 
Stop by the rope store in case we see some people walking by that we want to grab. We're leaving behind this rural store. Fly us all the way out to a house in the suburbs. We're about to meet a young couple. We'll go ahead and call the dude Justin. These aren't their real names, but we'll call the dude Justin, and he's dating a girl named Emma. Again, a fake name. And they're a couple, so they're doing couple stuff, right? They're like, hey, you know, you want to learn how to play the banjo? Let's start up a bluegrass band. So, like, he's playing the banjo, and she's on the jug. And then she's like, you know what I've always wanted to do? I've always wanted to learn calligraphy. Maybe we should take a calligraphy class. And he's like, yeah, that sounds absolutely boring. The, at least the band was fun. Taking calligraphy classes. You know, couples do type of stuff like that. I mean, I think it's ridiculous. I think people should have their own interests and don't need to learn how to play jug. But who am I to say? Who am I to judge? And to be fair, to be fair, those are just two examples. That's not what they actually did. You're like, what? Couples calligraphy? I've never heard of that. Did he dot her eyes? What they did as a couple was they said, you know what? Let's start taking art classes together. Let's go and learn to paint, draw, watercolor, I don't know, clay sculptures. And they're doing this stuff. And Emma turns out, she didn't know this, but she has a knack for painting. She got really, really good at it. Now, they're both attending these classes. I don't know if it was like official college classes or like adult education, but Justin's like painting stuff, and he's like, yeah, I guess this is good enough. It's just like a picture of a dude standing on a beach. And she, Emma, is so good at this. She's really, really taken a shine to painting. She particularly loves landscapes, so she's like drawn mountain ranges and then, like, a, a field of flowers and doing all this stuff. And Justin's like, okay, it's a little, uh, whatever, I'm done. But Emma kept painting. She really, really loved it. And Justin would be like, okay, well, she was painting so much, she constantly needed paint supplies. They'd go to these art supply stores and buy a bunch of goo and stuff like that. And then paint. She would paint. He just kind of gave it up. Eventually, like some relationships do, it ends. Justin and Emma break up. What are you going to do? Right, what are you going to do? These things happen. Well, one day, Justin was in his storage locker, and he's looking around for something, and he sees a bunch of Emma's paintings. And he sits down and he picks one up and he's like, ah, oh, yes, the flower field. That was a good one. Ooh, the mountain range. So realistic. It's like I'm there right now. Picks up another one. Seashell by the seaside. He has six of her paintings. I'm not going to make up titles for the other three. You get the point. He has six of her paintings there. And he puts them back down. And next to them is a big red plastic container. You know those things we all buy at Walmart and fill up and then never open again? She has one of those. A big red plastic container full of art supplies. He pops it open. He looks. He's like, dude, I probably could probably get super high if I just hang out in here for a little bit. But I should probably get rid of this stuff. You know, throw these paintings out. Get rid of all this art stuff. Make a little bit more room. 
for something else, it's time to let go of the past. Time to move on, Justin. Time to move on. But he didn't. And every so often he'd go back to that storage locker for whatever reason, dropping something off, picking something up, and he would see those same six paintings in that big red tub of art supplies, and he goes, I should get rid of that stuff. Maybe we'll give the art supplies to, I don't know, <laughs> a bunch of kids in an elementary school, let them go nuts. No one in town will be prepared for that. Get rid of those paintings. Uh, maybe next time. And he keeps doing this. Every so often he swings by and he sees the paintings, thinks about getting rid of them, never does. Well, a couple of years later, Emma and Justin start dating again. Things are back to normal. And one day, Justin's sitting there and he's talking to Emma and he goes, Hey, you know what? I didn't even think to tell you this, but just to let you know, I still have a bunch of your art in my storage locker. I never threw it out, Emma. I kept it this whole time. I just never really had the heart to get rid of it. Emma looks over at Justin and goes, what? What are you talking about? You know, the art stuff. The the paintings. Remember we took those art classes together? And you, got, you go, come on, Emma. We did a lot of painting for a while there. I still have some of your art. Emma goes, Justin, I haven't painted anything since middle school. And the only painting you've ever done are those little wargaming guys. I have no idea what you're talking about. Justin says, I'm glad you appreciate my uh, Warhammer 40k figures, but no, we painted we did this whole thing we took classes and emma's like i don't remember any of this and justin goes no come on we have the paintings in my storage locker they get in a fight they get in a straight up argument about this to the point that it starts to become a big issue in their relationship he keeps saying you took these art classes i'll tell you right now i'm not a relationship advice coach or anything but if this is a big issue in your relationship it's not on sturdy ground to begin with, whether or not you guys disagree. Well, I guess, I guess disagreeing on the past and the real events could leave a little bit of a scar in a relationship. But anyways, they keep fighting about this. She's like, Justin, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have not painted since middle school. I've never taken any art classes with you. I definitely don't have paintings of mine in your storage locker. And he finally goes, fine, fine, fine. Let's drive out to the storage locker. Fine, let's do it. Let's go. So they get to the storage locker. Open the sliding metal door. And they walk in. Sitting there in the storage locker are six blank canvases Justin starts to freak out he walks over to the corner and looks at each of those canvases they're completely blank he goes Emma what 
you the you painted these. You painted these. Justin starts looking around. Not only are the six canvases blank, the red container of art supplies is gone. Almost like it was never there. Emma thinks that Justin has lost his mind. Like, what, what, how would you process that? How would you process that? That whole car ride? Really, they'd been arguing about this for a bit. I don't know if it carried on for a matter of a couple days. I would think so to the point where you're like, let's just go to the storage locker so we stop arguing about it. I don't think it was like a five-minute fight, but the whole time you're in Emma's shoes, you're like, what is this guy talking about? I've never painted with him. He's adamant that you did. You know for a fact you didn't. And you're driving up to the storage locker and the whole time you're thinking, what does he expect to show me? I didn't paint anything. And then you walk in there and you see six blank canvases where he told you he had six of your paintings. You'd think he'd gone insane. Or at the very least... Early onset, early onset Alzheimer's. Something's really wrong with his memory. But imagine standing at that storage locker with your boyfriend, soon to be ex-boyfriend, and him freaking out, going, "They were here." <laughs> it's like Twilight Zone episode. They were here. They were here. You'd think he was crazy. You'd think anyone was crazy if they really believed that you did something you didn't do dragged you across town to prove it and then you ended up being proved right Justin said yeah our relationship didn't last much longer after that because it had been a big fight I was adamant I was 100% sure I know that she'd I have no way to explain what happened but we ended up breaking up shortly after that fight and we just stopped talking to each other just completely lost contact with her. Just completely cut off contact. A couple months later, Justin drives back to the storage locker. <laughs> Opens it up. It's time to go camping. He's going out to a storage locker to pick up some camping supplies. He opens the door up. He takes a step in and he looks. Sitting there in the storage locker, he sees the six canvases. Each one a landscape painted across it. Each one painted by his ex-girlfriend, Emma. And sitting next to them, a big red plastic container. He walked over to the container, opened it up, and sure enough, it was full of all those art supplies. And looking, digging into it, he even found printouts of artwork that both him and Emma had made while they were in those classes. And he's looking at all these pictures of pictures. Looks over at the six paintings. Closes the plastic container and throws all of it away. 
He said, I threw it away for two reasons. One, I never wanted to see her again. And two, the whole thing was just kind of spooky. Like, I don't know what happened. I can't figure it out in any way why all of this occurred. weird story isn't it it's almost like a double Mandela effect and you really again like Justin he posted this online under the name son of spades you have to think yeah what was the mechanism that was causing this I'd say this a lot on the show there are some things that first story it's a UFO we under we don't really understand the rules but we can classify it as certain things this was a this was an attempted abduction, even though it was a rope as opposed to a tractor beam. We understand the the imagery behind it. The bright light in the sky. The unknown object from another place, another time. The imagery itself is of a human being abducted by an alien. We can kind of classify it as that. Hauntings. The girl with no eyeballs crawling underneath your bed, waiting for you to fall asleep. It's a ghost. Or a demon. We can classify these things. This type of story, if it had happened once, we would call it a Mandela effect. Or an alternate reality. Quantum suicide. These type of things where somebody shifted into another reality where things were not as they remembered it. And these stories are becoming so common that we do use terms like Mandela effect, quantum suicide, and so on and so forth. But this is there and back again. This is a story where he went from a world with paintings to a world without, back to the world with paintings. And you have to wonder what the trigger was, like what happened. Could it have been, this is really weird if you think about it, could it have been the trigger was Emma? By having her in his life, reality shifted. And the reason why that's weird is that normally we see these things happen. They're connected to car accidents. People almost, I'll put some episodes in the show notes, but people almost dying and then find, or dying, really. They feel like they've died and then they're shifted into another reality where the car crash never happened. Sometimes they notice small differences. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're, Kind of in the exact same spot. I have another story like that coming up probably next week. I think I'll cover it. But we have these stories. It's these major things. It's these pivot points in their life. But this was just a girl. And what's so bizarre about it is that she's not just the inciting incident, she is the subject of the phenomenon. It'd be a totally different story if his paintings disappeared when she showed up. Like if he was an artist and then he kind of gave it up once he started dating her and put all of his stuff in the storage locker and then came by a couple years later and all of his artwork was gone. And then when he broke up with her, he went back and it was all back. You could say that 
when he started dating her, a divergent timeline came about where he was never an artist in the first place. That actually, as weird as that story would be, it would be a little easier to explain because Emma coming into his life is what started the art. And it wasn't even his. It was hers. She leaves, the artwork stays. She comes back, the artwork leaves. She leaves, the artwork returns. I mean, it's like it's really bizarre what actually happened in this storage locker. And it's not anything. A lot of times I go, well, it'd be cool if we could investigate this more. I, I think him getting rid of it, I don't necessarily believe that having access to this would mean anything to us, to any other sort of psychic or paranormal researcher. I don't, if you had the six paintings at your house, they probably would be the six paintings. It's almost like her, I mean, now I'm making a supposition, but I'm thinking as she's coming into his life is what make the paintings disappear. I mean, obviously you could test it by, you know, with the paintings and making them date again and see what happens, but super bizarre. She didn't even remember painting anything. The paintings didn't exist. And you would have... Pretty much they broke up over this painting fight. At least that was a big factor. If the paintings never reappeared, again, that would be a more digestible story. If he had the paintings, she leaves, and that he never sees the paintings again, you would go, well, maybe something happened to him. Maybe he ended up getting Mandela affected, or he... Quantum immortality, he died and shifted to a universe where there were no paintings, but he still had memories of them, that is a more digestible story. But the fact that they came and went and came, I would don't know how to classify this. He left reality one for reality two. That We see that. We see that happen a lot in these types of stories. But then going back to reality one, or maybe even ending up in reality three, that's much more rare. really makes you question what is the past because who knows how many of these type of experiences that we have had throughout our lives he happened to have these in his storage locker that he went to occasionally not all the time but occasionally i wonder you know like i'll keep cards that i get from like girls and things like that letters and notes and you know that i've collected over the years some of them end up in the trash. Some of them end up in a box. Some of them end up on my floor. I don't remember none of them. If I opened the box and found a letter from someone that I didn't remember, that wouldn't be unusual. Or if I opened a box and found a blank piece of paper, I wouldn't think anything of it. I'd just be like, oh, I must just put a blank piece of paper in here. But could those, could that blank piece of paper had been a message from someone from the past that was erased from my life? Now, she's still alive, but I'm saying, like, see, we never intersected. And the proof that I had of it, which I, you know, treat so nonchalantly, is just a blank piece of paper. The six paintings were very obvious signs of their existence. They were in the storage locker. You had the the red plastic container next to it. You had this area for her art. It wasn't just a clutter of things. 
and he noticed it and noticed it turned back. And you have to wonder if you went through your own personal items, could you find remnants of a past that no one else remembers but you? Or no one else remembers even you? Find a blank piece of paper and you go, huh? Throw it in the garbage. Even though that once contained a message from the most important person in your life at that time. When the past can be so easily changed that even the people involved in it don't remember something that you know is true. What does that say about our future? What if the decisions you make today will also be forgotten, discarded? Or when someone remembers you doing something or saying something and you said, I never did that. Who's right? Two people, one timeline, but a million different possible pasts. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm so glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys. Peace.